Hello, listeners. We're back at The One and Only Ivan by Catherine Applegate. We are going to read from page 106 and on. Here we go. It's titled the Hi- A Hit. Page 106. <clears throat> Stella's foot hurts too much for her to do any hard tricks for the two o'clock show. Instead, Mac pulls her limping into the ring where she tracks a circle in the sawdust. Ruby clings to her like a shadow. Ruby's eyes go wide when Snickers jumps on Stella's back and then leaps onto her head. At the four o'clock show, Stella can only get as far as the entrance to the ring. Ruby refuses to leave her side. At the seven o'clock show, Stella stays in her domain. And when Mac comes for Ruby, Stella whispers something in her ear. Ruby looks at her pleadingly, but after a moment, she follows Mac to the ring. Ruby stands alone. The bright lights make her blink. She flaps her ears. She makes her tiny trumpet sound. The humans stop eating their popcorn, and they coo. They clap. Yay! Ruby is a hit. I don't know whether to be happy or sad. Worry. When Julie arrives after the show, she brings three thick books, one pencil, and something she calls magic markers. Here, Ivan, she says, and she slides two magic markers and a piece of paper into my domain. I like the sundown colors, red and purple, but I don't feel like coloring. I'm worried about Stella. All evening she's been quiet, and she hasn't eaten a bit of her dinner. Julia follows my gaze. Where is Stella anyway? She asks, and she goes to Stella's gate. Ruby extends her trunk, and Julia pats it. Hi, baby, she says. Is Stella all right? Stella is lying in a pile of dirty hay and her breath is ragged. Dad, Julia calls. Could you come here a minute? And George sets aside his mop. Do you think she's okay, Dad? Julia asks. Look at the way she's breathing. Can we call Mac? I think there's something really wrong. Mm, He must know about her. George rubs his chin. He always knows. But a vet costs money, Jules. Please? Julia's eyes are wet. Call him, Dad. George gazes at Stella. He puts his hands on his hips and sighs. (sighs) He calls Mac. Now, I can't hear all of his words, but I can see George's lips tighten into a grim line. Gorilla expressions and human expressions are a lot alike. Uh, Max says the vet's coming in the morning, if Stella's not any better, he tells Julia. 
He says he's not going to let her die on him, not after all the money he's put into her. George strokes Julia's hair. George strokes Julia's hair. She'll be all right. She's a tough old girl. Julia sits by Stella's domain until it's time to go home. She doesn't do her homework, and she doesn't even draw. The Promise My domain gleams with moonlight when I awake to the sound of Stella's calls. I then, Stella says in a hoarse whisper, Ivan, I'm here, Stella, and I sit up abruptly, and Bob topples off my stomach. I run to a window. I can see Ruby next to Stella sleeping soundly. Ivan, I want you to promise me something, Stella says. Anything, I say. I've never asked for a promise before, because... Promises are forever, and forever is an unusually long time, especially when you're in a cage. Domain, I correct. Domain, she agrees. I straighten to my full height. I promise, Stella. I say in a voice like my father's. Uh, But you haven't even heard what I'm asking yet. She says, and she closes her eyes for a moment. Her great chest shudders. Well, I promise anyway. Stella doesn't say anything for a long time. Never mind, she finally says. I don't know what I was thinking. The pain is making me addled. Ruby stirs. Her trunk moves as if she's reaching for something that isn't there. When I say the words, they surprise me. You want me to take care of Ruby? And Stella nods, a small gesture that makes her wince. If she could have a life that's different than mine, she needs a safe place, Ivan. Not, not here, I say. It would be easier to promise to stop eating, to, to stop breathing, to stop being a gorilla. I promise, Stella, I say. I promise it on my word as a silverback. Knowing, before Mac, before Bob, Even before Ruby, I know that Stella is gone. I know it the way you know that summer is over and winter is on its way. I just know. Stella once teased me that elephants are superior because they feel more joy and more grief than apes. Your gorilla hearts are made of ice, Ivan, she said, her eyes glittering. Ours are made of fire. Right now, I would give all the yogurt raisins in all the world for a heart made of ice. Five men. Bob heard from a rat, a reliable sort, that they tossed Stella's body into a garbage truck. 
and it took five men and a forklift. Comfort. All day I try to comfort Ruby, but what can I say? That Stella had a good and happy life? That she lived as she was meant to live? That she died with those who loved her most nearby? Well, at least the last is true. Crying. Julia cries all evening while her father sweeps and mops and dusts and cleans the toilets. When George C. Mack, he runs to him. I can only hear a few of his words. Vet should have wrong. Mack shrugs, his shoulders droop, and he leaves without a word. When George wipes the fingerprints off my glass, his cheeks are wet. He doesn't meet my eyes. The one and only Ivan. When all the humans have left, I send Bob to check on Ruby. How is she? I ask when he returns. And she was shivering, Bob says. I tried to cover her with hay, and I told her not to worry because you were going to save her. And I glare at him. You told her that? You promised Stella. Bob lowers his head. I wanted to make the kid feel better. I shouldn't have made that promise, Bob. I, I just wanted... And I pointed to Stella's domain, and for a moment it seems like I've forgotten how to breathe. I wanted to make Stella happy, I guess, but I can't save Ruby. I mean, I can't even save myself. I flop onto my back. The cement is always cold, but tonight it hurts. Bob leaps onto my belly. You are the one and only Ivan, he says. Mighty Silverback. He licks my chin, and he's not even checking for leftovers. Say it, Bob commands, and I look away. Say it, Ivan. I don't answer, so Bob licks my nose until I can't stand it any longer. I'm the one and only Ivan, I mutter. And don't you ever forget it, he says. And when I gaze at the food court skylight, the moon Stella loved is shrouded in clouds. Once upon a time. All night, Ruby moans and sniffles. I pace my domain. I don't want to fall asleep in case she needs something. Ivan, Bob says gently, get some sleep, please. For your sake and for mine. Bob can't sleep unless he is on my stomach. I hear a stirring. Oh, I hear a stirring. Wrong voice. <laughs> Ivan? Ruby calls. I rush to my window. Ruby, are you all right? I miss Aunt Stella. Ruby sobs. And I miss my mom. And my sisters and my aunts and my cousins, too. I know, I say. 
because it's all I can think of. Ruby sniffles. I can't sleep. Do you know any stories the way Aunt Stella did? Not really. I admit, stories were Stella's specialty. Tell me a story about when you were little. Ruby pleads. She puts her trunk between the bars. Please, Ivan. Mm, I scratch the back of my head. I, I don't remember things, Ruby, I admit. It's true, Bob says, trying to be helpful. Ivan has a terrible memory. He's the opposite of an elephant. Ruby lets out a long, shivery breath. <sighs> oh, well, that's okay. Night, Ivan and Bob. I listen to Ruby's soft sobs for, a long, for long, horrible minutes. And then I hear myself saying, Once upon a time, there was a gorilla named Ivan. And slowly and deliberately, I try to remember. The Grunt I was born in a place humans call Central Africa, in a dense rainforest so beautiful no crayons could ever do it justice. Gorillas don't name their newborns right away, the way humans do. We get to know our babies first, and we wait to see hints of what might yet be. When they saw how much she loved to chase me around the forest, my parents decided on my twin sister's name. Tag. Oh, how I love to play tag with my sister. She was nimble, but when I got too close, she would leap onto my unsuspecting father. And then I would join her, and we would bounce on that tolerant belly until he gave us the grunt. <clears throat> the rooting pig sound that meant enough. The game never got old, although my father might have disagreed. Mud. It didn't take long for my parents to find my name. All day long, every day, I made pictures. I drew on rocks and bark and my poor mother's back. I used the sap from leaves. I used the juice from fruit. But mostly, I used mud. And that is why they, that is what they called me, mud. Now to a human, mud might not sound like much, but to me, it was everything. Protector. My family, which humans call a troop, was just like my other gorilla family. No, it was just like any other gorilla family. There were 10 of us. My father, the silverback, my mother, and three other adult females. A juvenile male called a blackback, and two other young gorillas. Tag and I were the babies of the group. We squabbled now and then, as families will, but my father knew how to keep us in line with a simple scowl. And for the most part, we were happy to do what we were meant to do to feed and forage and nap and play. 
My father was a master at leading us to the ripest fruit for our morning feast and the finest branches for our night nests. He was everything a silverback is meant to be. A guide, a teacher, a protector. And nobody could chest beat like my father. A perfect life. Gorilla babies and elephant babies and human babies are not so different, except that a gorilla gets to spend the day riding on his mother's back, like a cowboy on a horse. It's a pretty great system from the baby's point of view. Slowly, carefully, a young gorilla begins to venture farther and farther away from the safety of his mother's arms. He learns the skills he will need as an adult. How to make a nest of branches? Weave them tightly or they will fall apart in the middle of the night. How to beat your chest? Cup your palms to amplify the sound. How to go vining from tree to tree? Don't let go. How to be kind, be strong, be loyal. Growing up gorillas, just like any other kind of growing up, you make mistakes. You play, you learn, you do it all over again. It was, for a while, a perfect life. One day, oh no, this is titled The End. One day, a still day when the hot air hummed, the humans came. Vine. After they captured my sister and me, they put us in a cramped, dark crate that smelled of urine and fear. Somehow I knew that in order to live, I had to let my old life die. But my sister could not let go of our home. It held her like a vine, stretching across the miles, comforting, strangling. We were still in our crate when she looked at me without seeing and I knew that the vine had finally snapped. The Temporary Human It was Mac who pried open that crate. Mac who bought me and Mac who raised me like a human baby. I wore diapers. I drank from a bottle. I slept in, a, in human beds sat in human chairs. I listened while human words swarmed around me like angry bees. Mac had a wife back then. Helen was quick to laugh, but quick to anger too, especially when I broke something, which was often. Here is what I broke while I lived with Mac and Helen. One crib, 46 glasses, seven lamps, one couch, Three shower curtains, three shower curtain rods, one blender, one TV, one radio, three toes, my own. I broke the blender when I squeezed three tubes of toothpaste and a bottle of glue into it. I broke my toes attempting to swing from a lamp fixture on the ceiling. And I broke 46 glasses. Well, it turns out there are many ways to break a glass. Now, every weekend, Mac and Helen took me in their convertible to a fast food restaurant. 
where they ordered me french fries and a strawberry shake. Mac loved to see the expression on the cashier's face when he drove up and said, Could I have some ketchup for my kid? I went to baseball games, to the grocery store, to a movie theater, even to the circus. They didn't have a gorilla. I rode a little motorbike and blew out candles on a birthday cake. My life as a human was a glamorous one, although my parents, traditional sorts, would not have approved. And we will stop there. Thanks for listening.